morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And it's going to be verses 7 through 24. Luke 14, 7 through 24. And I believe the text will also be on screen. And it says, Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought... Five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's let's pray. Lord God, I just want to pray for Brad as he comes to preach this morning. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the words of, uh, of this of the text here this morning, and that your spirit would do a work on our hearts, that we would receive it. And uh, I pray for Brad as uh, he preaches that you'd uh, keep his heart calm, give him uh, some clarity here this morning as he uh, brings what he has prepared here this last couple of weeks to us as a church. Uh, we, we thank you, and uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Peace be with you. Uh, I, think, I think I say this every time I have the opportunity to preach. Um, I just am so grateful that I have the opportunity um, at a church where the pastors are willing to let uh, like a C-rated guy come up and preach and learn how to do this craft, um, and a gracious church. You guys are so gracious 
to someone who's learning how to do this. And I just want to express gratitude. I don't take this lightly. I spend hours in prayer, hours in preparation uh, for what you're going to get. So I, I appreciate your grace today. Um, to begin our time, I, I have maybe a strange question for you. Um, have any of you ever had the opportunity to travel abroad, to go to another country, a different context, see some nodding heads? Um, early, right after college and early in our, my, our marriage, we, my wife and I had an opportunity to travel to a couple places. After college, I, I got to go to Malaysia in 2012, and then right after we got married, uh, we were in France for like 10 days, so it was pretty cool. And I noticed something in my travels, the, probably some of the obvious differences, like dress, the way people commute to work or places, types of music, types of food, all of those things that you would generally observe. The surprising thing that I realized that in all of these places is that there was a shared expectation for hosting. Like how people were welcomed into your home, the food that would be shared, the expectations for conversation, and just general like ideologies and how relationships should be held. And all, although most of them had very different implementations of these and they, were, they, they practiced the, the hosting differently, they still carried the same fundamental principles and principles that we actually share here in America. And during the time of Jesus, there were also expectations in hosting. And this is happening in this account that was just read in Luke 14. And Jesus is participating in a, host, in a, in a dinner. And the hosting and, and the way things are being done here immediately catches Jesus' attention. In Luke 14, it begins with Jesus being invited into the house for a dinner of a prominent Pharisee. Actually, in verses 1 through uh, 6, it actually tells you a little bit of what's happening here. Jesus had already began teaching about the Sabbath. He actually healed someone and probably angered the Pharisees quite a bit. But it was a custom in this time period for the wealthy and social elite to bring in and invite someone to teach, someone that was respected, someone they were intrigued by, and they would come in for a meal, and the person who was hosting would invite all of their friends. And it was an extreme honor to be invited to one of these events. But beginning in verse 7, Jesus does something really interesting. You may have caught it when it was read. He observes a cultural norm. He observes people trying to position themselves in a table, in specific seats that reflect the social status that they desire. He observes it. He sees it. And Jesus seems to do this a lot throughout his ministry. He takes like the things that we see in life, like sometimes really ordinary things, whether it's in nature or human behavior, and then he launches into a teaching. He goes into something that kind of inverts the norm and then goes even a little deeper. And so Jesus is doing that right here. He says, instead of taking seats of honor, if you look at verses eight and nine, he's like, don't take seats of honor because someone else may come who's greater than you. And you're gonna be really embarrassed when you have to give up that seat to someone else. It's actually gonna hurt your status. 
So in order to avoid that from happening, verse 10, it says this, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. Jesus is going against the cultural norm of positioning yourself for honor at a banquet by taking a different seat, a seat of humility. Taking and pursuing the highest seats with prestige will ultimately lead to humiliation. You're going to be humbled if you try to take those higher seats. As if those instructions don't seem strange enough, verses 12 and 14, they give some instructions for anyone who's trying to host a party. And to be real, they're kind of weird. They're strange. He tells them not to invite their friends. Don't invite your relatives or even the people that live close to you or the people that you live life with every single day. But he does give a list of people to invite. And that's equally as strange. He tells the people to invite the poor and impoverished. People with physical disabilities that have inhibited mobility and people who can't see. And this is what Jesus instructs a large gathering of people on how to have a party. It's really weird, isn't it? Seems strange. These obscure instructions by Jesus don't fit the cultural norms of that day, and they seem really suspect. But we must ask ourselves, what is Jesus doing? Why is he giving these instructions? Why is Jesus addressing these cultural norms? Why can't I invite my friends over, my family? And what if I don't know anyone who's poor or physically suffering? If we take some time to look and reflect on this passage, I think it can be argued that Jesus is not necessarily concerned with seating charts and guest lists at parties. Rather, I think he's getting at something much deeper than we may initially have realized. I think Jesus is pointing out a major, enormous fact about humanity, that our hospitality and our generosity reveal our needs. I'll say that again. Our hospitality and generosity reveal our needs. The perceived needs that I have in my life are directly related to who I position myself around. They reflect who's around my dinner table. They even reflect my actions of generosity every day. So what perceived needs is Jesus exposing here? He's doing something. He's exposing something in this room as he observes the hospitality of this specific meal at a Pharisee's house with the social elite present. Well, I think there's actually three that I found that I think he's pointing out. And the first one is the need to be liked. Go back to verse seven. Jesus observes that they chose places of honor to sit. They were places that if you were seen sitting there, there would have been people and others around you who envied your position. And they would aspire to be there next to you or even be you. The need to be liked ensures that we will be liked by people around us and that we will advance 
advance in our context, and it provides a form of safety for you and I that we'll always have friends, we will be able to advance our careers, and that we'll always have a place. We do the same thing as the social elite and the Pharisees at this dinner with Jesus. We simply call it networking, right? We're actually taught how to network. College students, you know this. A Forbes magazine article entitled 10 Reasons Why Networking is Essential for Your Career says that it is essential to network, to exchange ideas, make yourself noticeable. It opens new avenues for opportunities. It improves your intellect, provides you a resource library, gets you support from high-power individuals. It gives you growth in status, growth in self-confidence, and develops long-lasting relationships. Hospitality and generosity are reflected in the need to be liked. This is so we can advance our careers in order to hold the security we desperately desire. And this may even be so ingrained in us that we may not even be aware of it. Think about times when you were the new guy or the new girl. Just think about it. What do you do? You walk into a room, you scan the room, and you figure out where you're going to fit in. Just kind of like the kid in the cafeteria at lunch, right? You walk in, it's like, oh, can I sit? Well, I have third period French with that guy, but the popular kids are over there. Can I sit with them? And I'll go with the third period French guy. We try to place ourselves where we're going to be liked, and that is going to get us the greatest connection to the right people that are going to let us or to help us get where we want to go in the group. And Jesus is exposing that. He's exposing all of our needs to be liked. So you have that need. The second need that I think Jesus is exposing is the need for comfort. Look at verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So all of you hosting AFC championships parties today, you might have to get out your phones right now and rescind some invitations, right? Don't invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, whatever. You might have to to change your, your, your plan of attack here. I actually think it's safe to say that Jesus is not actually telling you not to invite your friends and family. I think he's using an exaggerated language simply to get your attention. And to steal Pastor Matt's phrase, are you paying attention? Jesus is drawing our attention to the fact that we seek to be hospitable to people we feel safe with. We actually insulate ourselves with our friends, our family, and neighbors to avoid any sense of discomfort with other people. We will have people over as long as they look like us, they speak like us, they have the same political affiliations as we do, or even the same trajectory in life. This is the whole reason why this concept of tribalism exists. It's not just in the world either, it's in the church too, believe me. And I have some friends and pastors who I really respect that they're living in that world as well. They ask questions like, does your church preach the way that we preach? 
Does your church use the version of, of the Bible that we see fit? Does your church read the same authors that we read and get theology from those right people? Does your service look like ours? Do you vote the way we vote? Jesus telling us not to invite our closest friends and relatives is there to enlighten you about how comfortable it is to be insulated away from others in the world. And I even think COVID revealed that as well. And our hospitality towards others is impacted by this need for comfort. So our lastly, and I think this is the hardest and most challenging, at least for me, the, challenging, the most challenging need that Jesus is exposing is the need for extraction. He says this in verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is exposing that hospitality present in the hearts of people is actually fueled from a need to get something from them. You want something, and you're trying to get it from them. That's what extraction is. You're trying to take something from them. It comes not from a true heart of generosity, but rather a desire to make sure that we are repaid and rewarded for what we do for others. Maybe this gets at the heart of why God has a mind for the poor and why Jesus is always preaching to care and love the poor. There's literally nothing that you can extract from them. They offer us nothing. They can give us no earthly rewards or benefits. So why would we want to surround ourselves with the poor and the needy? We can't extract from them. One famous motivational speaker said it this way, or said, said this phrase, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Take all your friends and take all of them together and take your five closest ones and see their success. Yours is going to be right in the middle, is what he's saying. With that mindset in our culture and fueling our hospitality, why would anybody want to waste time on the poor and the needy and physically impaired? Because they're not going to elevate our averages. You see, the poor, the needy, the cripple, the blind, the lowest of society are the ones that Jesus always will have in mind because maybe they understand the nature of the kingdom of God better than anyone else in the world. They understand that there's nothing that they can do, provide, or earn in order to get into God's kingdom. So Jesus is exposing our need to be like, our need for comfort, and our need for extraction. So full disclosure, I want to be real honest with you about this, this text and sermon. When I began processing it, I actually was like, thinking this would be a really simple, easy guide to hospitality. Like, invite the poor into your house, be friends with people who are, who are struggling and in need, and then you're doing what God intended. And there's some truth to that. But it turns out that this text 
is actually revealing so much more about our hearts. And I think this teaching for, for Jesus or from him, it opens up a whole lot of reflection and honesty that we need to encounter. Like Jesus is not trying to modify my behavior or your behavior simply so we can have better social gatherings that align with him, although it may impact some of those things. I actually think Jesus is trying to do an inward work to see if there are any blind spots in our hospitality and generosity because they actually reveal areas where we feel the greatest needs, where I feel the greatest needs. And so the application for this text and sermon in our lives is going to look very different for everyone in this room. All of you are going to have different areas in your life that this is going to do an inward work. And I, I kind of want to take some time and process that with you. Like, I, I don't have, like, hey, do this. This is what you should do. Like, this is an inward work of processing and prayer and work of God and His Spirit to trust in, that He's going to reveal in us what we need to change and grow and be aware of. For some of us, I think that it's going to be an honest look on how we practice hospitality. Are there certain people that I'll have over my house and others I won't? Is, does this person not fit into my friend group because of X, Y, Z, whatever? Like real, real things that we need to consider. For some, it's going to be asking about what are my perceived needs? What do I think I need to feel safe? What do I need to feel safe? Do I need friends? Enneagram 6 is out there. That's me. Do I need friends to feel safe? Job security? Social status? Material things? What is it in my life that's creating anxieties and fears in me that I feel like I have to be hospitable in order to meet those needs? What is it? What are the, your perceived needs that you think that you need to, to feel safe? Many of us are going to ask ourselves about what is our presence like in a room? Like, do when I, when I walk into a room, am I looking for my needs to be met? That's why I say hi to this person or interact with these people. Or am I actually there to delight in God's presence in other people and what he's doing? Like, what am I seeking when I walk into a room? What's my presence like? Maybe you're here today and there's just simply prejudice in your life and you need the Spirit to reveal areas that are causing you to disregard other people. Do you discriminate against the poor? Is there racism, sexism, ageism, etc. present in your mind and in your heart? Maybe some of you need to process what generosity truly looks like in this church? Are there people that you're willing to share a meal with or help, but others that you're not because they've made some bad choices or they're doing some things that you don't agree with? These are just real honesty. We're all in this. Maybe you need to ask yourself this internal question. And this is straight from me. Am I in a relationship with people 
and not with other people because I am trying to get somewhere or even trying to get something out of it. And I, I, I want to be completely honest here, and I, I want to share some of my own story because it's, it's humbling, it's humiliating, but I want to show you that preachers aren't above this either. I've had multiple conversations with pastors here about my early months here at the Oaks. My interactions and conversation always seemed like I was striving to get something and somewhere in ministry. And I was completely unaware of it. And it took some real honesty and some real hard conversations and some weeping in my office on my part to show me that I really was doing that. And it was a lot of grace. It was a lot of honesty, a lot of work. I didn't even realize it. So there are areas that we are completely unaware of. It's okay. Let's be honest with it. Wherever you are in the process, the goal of all of this is that you develop a hospitality and generosity that is not trying to meet a perceived need to build up our kingdoms to feel safe. Jesus is cultivating in us a new hospitality that is reflective of the kingdom of God, where he, Jesus, our Lord, where God has no needs. God is not trying to extract from you. He has no need to be liked. He has no need for comfort. He has nothing or needs nothing from any of us. He is just present and communing with you and me. He's loving you. He's changing you and it, because he has no needs. Isn't that wonderful? So in closing today, I, I want to turn our attention back. I want to go back to Jesus and the way that he ends his time at this dinner. And he tells a story about a great banquet that is coming. And this is like a parable about an eternal banquet that God is preparing in verses 16 through 24. There's an invitation sent out, and there are ones that make excuses on why they, are, they can't come to this event, this banquet. And I think it's the ones who are trying to fulfill their own needs. One person has a field to go see, one person has cattle to examine, and one person has a wife. They are trying to do whatever they can to meet their own needs. And so their attendance to this banquet and the hospitality that's provided by the host, it actually doesn't fit any of their greatest needs. So they refuse the invitation. They don't want it. It doesn't fit what their needs are. So the, the, the great host who represents God, he sends his invitation to the people who he knows will receive it because they understand the enormity of the invitation. And so this is what the host is commanded to do in verse 21, or the, the host commands. He says, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. God invites the poor, the blind, and lame. They have nothing to offer God because he needs nothing. 
The kingdom of God has a hospitality that lavishes love and peace because it is a joy of God to share his abundance. And then in verse 21 at the end of it, there, or 22, in the end of verse 22, there's a most beautiful phrase that the messenger says. It says this, it's just this these short phrase, and still there's more room. There's more room. There's room for you. There's room for me. And God is constantly adding room to his table and to his feast. So as we come to communion today, it is fitting that it's called a table, the Lord's table. And it reminds us of this eternal banquet that is coming one day. And this eternal banquet of God's kingdom is ever growing and more and more seats are being added. All of us in Christ today are going to sit down and we're all gonna wonder how we got there. We're gonna wonder, we're gonna be like, we're just gonna be excited. We're not gonna worry about our needs anymore because we're gonna sit there and we're gonna be like, oh, it's all here. How'd I get here? And God is sending more and more invitations He's going out past highways and hedges and throughout time to lavish his hospitality on you and on me. And his hospitality and his generosity will never, ever run out. So we come to the table today. We take bread, which represents his body, and the wine, which represents his blood, with anticipation, with anticipation of a future banquet with him, where he has no needs, and we can just be lavished in his love and his grace forever. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good. We thank you. We are so grateful that you have invited us to your feast, that we get to sit and commune with you, and one day we eagerly long with anticipation if you're coming again, where we can sit with you. We pray for more people to hear the invitation of your banquet, that they would hear and have a seat added for them. Thank you for this time. Please work in our hearts, help change us and mold us, that we would live a hospitality that reflects your kingdom. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.